Amen. All right, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, if you're using uh, one of the black Bibles um, that the church provides, it's on page 816. Our text today will be Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30. Matthew 11, verse 20. When you find that, would you stand please in honor of God's word and follow along as I read our text that we want to consider this morning. Let's hear the word of God together. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is Responding to Christ. Our text breaks into... uh, Three sections, and really, all I felt like all three sections uh, related to this theme of responding to Christ. We see uh, judgment for those who respond to Christ in unbelief. We see uh, praise to the Father for enabling people to respond to Christ, and then we see a, a, a gracious invitation for more people to respond to Christ in faith. And so, I want to just work through the text um, under in those three sections and and under three headings, one for for each section. Here's section number one. I entitled it, A Grave Warning. Grave Warning. That's in verses 20 through 24. That's what Jesus is doing. He's he's denouncing cities where he had ministered, right? Remember, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been ministering up in northern Israel in Galilee, and, and we've seen a couple of accounts where it talks about uh, how Jesus had this itinerant ministry, right? Where he's going from city to city, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and, and, then, and then displaying the truth of that good news through mighty works. And so Jesus went from village to village, preaching with authority, casting out demons, healing the sick, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God had come. And remember, that good news was he declaring, Jesus declaring that he had come, the promised king was here, and that he was bringing in this, the long-awaited kingdom of God, that, that 
the saving power of God had come, that God had come to, to rule and, and to um, deliver his people. And so that was good news, and it was good news that demanded a response. Because the king had come, people needed to repent. They needed to forsake their sin, forsake the rebellion against God, and, and bow the knee to, to God's king. Bow the knee to this promised one who had come. They should submit to his rule. They should pledge their allegiance to him. They should repent of their sins and embrace Jesus as their savior and their king. But sadly, most of them didn't do that. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent That's a strong verb, denounce. Jesus denounces these inhabitants where he's been ministering because they haven't repented. Yeah, sure, uh, many of them have been excited about his miracles, right? They've liked having their loved ones healed, or they like it when Jesus multiplies bread for them, but they weren't repenting. The miracles were evidence that Jesus is the king, that he was bringing in the kingdom. So again, those mighty works should have led the people to repent of their sin to submit to Jesus as king, but they weren't doing that. Here they heard Jesus proclaim that he's the promised one. They saw him demonstrate his sovereign saving power, and yet many of them walked away unmoved. Imagine, imagine witnessing firsthand demons being cast out. But then you yourself not turning from evil to follow Jesus. Imagining, uh, witnessing, uh, imagine witnessing a leper being cleansed of his disease right before you. But then you not turning to Jesus for cleansing from your sins. Imagine Jesus, uh, watching, seeing Jesus heal the blind and raise the dead, but still not submitting to him as king. That's what most of these people were doing. And so Jesus denounces these cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I'll get to the geography here in a minute, but notice Jesus says woe. (laughs) Woe was a a prophetic oracle of doom and judgment. Jesus is is, is, uh, following in the footsteps of the Old Testament prophets here. He's taking up this prophetic oracle of woe, and he's denouncing cities for their unbelief. Now, Bethsaida was the home of Simon and Andrew and Philip, and Chorazin was another Galilean city that was just two miles north of Bethsaida. So these are two cities where, no doubt, Jesus had been ministering, doing mighty works, again, like healing diseases, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And yet the people in those cities, by and large, had not repented And so then, you notice Jesus mentioned Tyre and Sidon, right? Well, those were two Gentile cities that are denounced in the Old Testament. Tyre is denounced in Isaiah 23 as an oppressor of God's people. Sidon is denounced in Ezekiel 26 as a pagan, God-hating nation. So these were wicked, Gentile, unbelieving cities who opposed God. But what Jesus is saying to, to the Jews is, hey, if the mighty works that that you've been privileged to see, if, I, if those had been done in these cities, these Gentile cities like Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. They would have believed. 
Yes, they opposed God, but they never got to see Jesus. They never got to see the Son of God preaching and casting out demons. They didn't have the clarity of the truth that Chorazin and Bethsaida had. Remember, they had the king himself there preaching and, and doing mighty works. Therefore, Jesus says in verse 22, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. What he's saying there is they would have repented, right? And so, because um, Chorazin, Bethsaida, because they had been exposed to Jesus and his preaching, his mighty works, their punishment will be worse. Their punishment will be worse than the judgment that Tyre and Sidon receives. And then he follows a similar pattern here in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So again, Jesus pronounces a woe on Capernaum. And guess what? Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. I mean, this was where his base of operations was. So, I mean, if any city had been privileged to, to witness the mighty works of Jesus, to hear his preaching, it was Capernaum. They had seen countless displays of the kingdom of God. They'd heard many sermons calling people to repent and believe, yet most of the people of Capernaum had not repented and followed Jesus. Despite the many mighty works they had witnessed, they remained largely unmoved. And so Jesus says, therefore, heaven is certainly not their destination. Rather, they will be brought down to Hades, to eternal punishment. And by the way, that phrase, brought down to Hades, is the same language that's used of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14. So the very words of judgment used against Babylon, which is kind of like the the ultimate evil, rebellious city, right? The very same words that's used for judgment against them Jesus now utters against this Jewish city of Capernaum, his base of operations. Jesus says if Sodom, right, remember that wicked city that was destroyed by fire and brimstone back in Abraham's day? He says if the people of Sodom, despite all their wickedness, if they had witnessed the mighty works that Capernaum got to see, then Sodom would have remained. In other words, they would have repented and not been destroyed. And so Jesus says it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for Capernaum. These are chilling verses, loved ones. I don't know if you're getting that sense or not. I mean, obviously Sodom was, was judged, right? Fire and brimstone, let alone the judgment to come. But yet Jesus is saying it's going to be more tolerable, more bearable for them than for Capernaum. And so the truth we see here is that the greater the revelation, in other words, the greater amount of truth you're exposed to, the greater the responsibility. And the greater the culpability, then, if you reject that truth. Just as heaven has degrees of rewards, so hell has degrees of punishment. We know the Bible says by nature all people are guilty because we sin against God by suppressing the truth that is seen in creation and written on our hearts. So we all have a level of revelation already to us, don't we? General revelation. But the severest judgment 
will fall on those who have rejected the gospel. The severest judgment will fall on those who heard the good news that Jesus died and rose again in the place of sinners, and yet they did not repent and follow Christ. And so, I don't know if dilemma is the right word, but that's the word that's coming to me. You kind of have a a dilemma. (laughs) Because coming to church, hearing the gospel is vitally important. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? But coming to church and hearing the word of God is a dangerous thing as well. Those who come and hear the gospel but do not repent are placing themselves in even greater judgment than if they had never heard. Imagine going to church week in and week out. The word of God is preached. You hear about who Jesus is, what he has done, how he calls us to respond. And yet, time and time again, you remain unmoved. You walk away and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to follow Jesus as Lord. I'm going to live for myself. Imagine the privilege of growing up in a home where you are taught the word of God from a young age, and yet you never believe and follow Christ for yourself. Imagine being around the church every week where you see and hear people who love Jesus and have committed their lives to him, and yet you continue to reject. That is a dangerous path. And so I plead with you all. And, and young, young people, I plead with you today to believe the, the good news of Jesus Christ. You who have heard years of sermons You who have sat through thousands of family devotions. How great will be your punishment if you reject Christ? What will you say to Jesus when you stand before him and he points out all the opportunities that you had to repent and believe? And it's not just young people, right? Anyone who's here today who's an unbeliever. Maybe you, you come um, because you come to church because your spouse does, right? Or your friend does. How many sermons have you heard? No matter what your motivation for coming, you're, you're here and you're hearing sermons. How many sermons have you heard And yet you still have not trusted in Christ for salvation. How many church programs have you attended where the gospel is proclaimed and yet you still will not bow your knee to Jesus? This is a grave warning that Jesus gives here in verses 20 through 24. And I pray, I pray that God will graciously cause us all to heed it. And that all will respond to him in repentance and faith. And so that brings us then to verse 25 and our second heading, which I entitled Sovereign Grace. 
It's interesting how these kind of have the theme of responding to Jesus and yet how they flow together here is, uh, also. But sovereign grace, look, look at verse 25. At that, at that time, Jesus declared, at that time, he's, it's connecting to what Jesus has just said in verses 20 through 24. So having pronounced judgment on those cities who did not repent and believe, now Jesus offers a prayer of praise to the Father. <laughs> verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus praises God the Father for two things, for hiding these things, that, and that means the truth of the gospel, right? The reality that Jesus is the true Savior and King. He praises God for hiding the, gospel, the truth of the gospel from the wise and understanding and for revealing that truth to little children. So Jesus praises the Father for concealing the truth of the gospel from some and revealing the truth to others. And we may be thinking, well, wait a minute, That's, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't seem fair. It's not fair for God to conceal the truth from people. But notice the Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and that means from those who are wise in their own eyes. (laughs) Those who are self-sufficient, from those who are proud, from those who don't think they need a Savior, from those who think they can get to God on their own, from those who think they're lords of their own lives, like like Todd read in in 1 Corinthians 1, right? You know, the the gospel is foolishness to them. They're, they're, They're too wise and sophisticated for a crucified Savior. It's to these kinds of people God has concealed the truth of the gospel then. And so it reminds us when God conceals the truth, he's not doing it to to innocent people who were sincerely seeking the truth. No, he's concealing the gospel from people who've already rejected the amount of truth that they've been given. Again, Romans 1 says the truth about God was revealed to them. The truth about God is revealed to all through creation. The law of God is written on every person's heart. But many, rather than responding to that amount of truth and, and seeking God, giving thanks to Him, you know, seeking how can, how can I be made right with this supreme being, rather than doing that, Romans 1 says most people suppress that truth. They reject that truth. No, there can't be a creator. I'm, I'm Lord of my life. No, there's no supreme creator who declares right and wrong. We decide that as a society, what's right and wrong. And so they suppress the truth in their wickedness. They don't give thanks to God. Rather than seeking him, and we know ultimately seeking him through his son Jesus Christ. They suppress the truth and worship created things rather than the creator. So this concealment is really an act of God's judgment. God is just. God is just to all. He is not unjust to anyone. He is just to conceal and punish. And then as we're thinking about that, we have to admit... By nature, we are all truth suppressors, 
who deserve God's judgment. But God in his mercy and God in his sovereign grace gives some of us new hearts. God graciously and mercifully makes some of us like little children, Jesus says, who recognize their dependence, who who have the faith of a child. No, left to ourselves, we would all reject God, but God graciously reaches down and saves some. He's just to all, but he shows mercy to some. Praise God. And he showed us mercy by revealing the truth to us. And so Jesus is praising the Father. I praise you that you have revealed the truth to your people. That you've opened their eyes, that you've given them new hearts to believe. And God reveals that truth through his Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Wow, this is a loaded verse. I mean, this is a huge Christological verse. Just just overflowing with the authority and the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He's been given authority over all things. Jesus has exclusive knowledge of the Father. And Jesus is the exclusive revealer of the Father. And so these other religions that claim to worship God are false. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. You do not know the Father, what what Jesus is saying here. You do not know the Father unless the Son chooses to reveal Him to you. So ask yourself, why am I a Christian? Why do I believe and follow Christ? And the answer is our heading, isn't it? Because of sovereign grace. Because of sovereign grace. Our salvation is totally a work of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit together have graciously worked in our hearts so that we believe giving us a new heart, opening our eyes to see that Jesus is Savior and Lord, giving us the gift of faith and repentance. All of us who follow Christ, it's because God, it's because of God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We owe our salvation totally to the sovereign grace of God. God opened our eyes to the truth. God gave us new hearts that believe. God showed us the the beauty and and the, the authority of Jesus Christ. He gave us hearts that by faith embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so in these verses here, Jesus praises the Father for his sovereign grace. And may that be our story, loved ones. May that be our song every day. Continually praising God for his free and sovereign and unconditional grace. And that leads us then to the third section, third heading here. Beautiful invitation. Beautiful invitation, verses 28 through 30. 
Let me just begin reading in verse 28. <laughs> I mean, it, the Bible teaches divine sovereignty and human responsibility. <laughs> and we see it back to back right here. We, Jesus has just been praising God for divine sovereignty, and then he goes right into an invitation saying, come to me. Come to me. And so in verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about physical rest. He's talking about spiritual rest. Because in verse 29, he'll say, Rest for your souls. And so those who labor and are heavy laden refers to the the burden of of carrying one's sins, the burden of, of a guilty conscience, the burden of trying to pay for your sins and make yourself right with God. And people do that different ways. Of course, the Jesus' original audience here, they, they were doing that through the, the, the law and through the tradition of the Pharisees, right? Uh, the, the laws of the Old Testament, the application of those laws had been written into 613 prohibitions from the rabbis. They felt like that summarized the teaching of the Torah. 613 commands. And so you can imagine those trying to follow Torah and do what was required. They they said it it wasn't just difficult, it was impossible. Isn't that what Peter says later uh, after Christ has risen and ascended to heaven when they're having the council in Jerusalem there in, what is it, um, Acts 15, I think? Brothers, this was a, we can't put this burden on the Gentiles, a burden that we could never never bear ourselves. And today, whether, whether a Jew or not, many people are carrying that same burden, that same weight of sin and guilt before God, that same weight of, of trying to somehow atone for their sins. Again, God, creation declares the glory of God. God's law is written on their hearts. Many know that they are not right with God. They, many recognize they've rebelled against their creator. They know they don't measure up. They know they are under the just condemnation of God. Many are afraid to die because they fear standing before God. Many carry the burden of a guilty conscience. Many are like uh, who would be Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, right? Just carrying that heavy, heavy load of, their, of the burden of their sin. And that's the type of people Jesus is, is inviting. He's saying, come to me, all you who, are labor and, who labor and are heavy laden. These people are laboring. They're working to make themselves right with God. They're working to make it to heaven. Do you know anybody like that? Who's laboring to make it to heaven? They labor at religion. They go to church. They do the sacraments. They jump through the hoops that are laid out for them. They labor at good works. They serve in the community. They try to be a nice person. Or maybe the way they try to deal with that burden is they labor at distraction, right? You know, they labor at at just following the things of the world, pursuing the comforts of this life, trying desperately some way to find peace. But none of that labor brings lasting peace because the burden of their sin remains. And the Bible says that good works and law-keeping can never take away our sins. And so you can imagine how exhausting, how discouraging, how despairing that is. Many of you can remember what that's like. To labor 
and not be at peace, to work hard and still be burdened by guilt and sin. And so Jesus graciously calls out to people like this, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Notice Jesus says, come to him, right? Not come to a system, not come to a religion. You come to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, crucified and risen, exalted and reigning, come to him. Come to Christ in repentance and faith. Look to Jesus embracing his life, death, and resurrection. That's how we are to come. Jesus says you can find rest, right? You can cease from your labor. (laughs) You can rest from trying to find peace through the things of this world. You can rest from trying to find peace through your own system or whatever. Because Jesus kept the law perfectly in our place. And yet Jesus died under the curse of the law in our place. And so the righteousness that we desperately need is found in Christ. And the forgiveness that we desperately need is found in Christ alone. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest Trust in me alone and your sins will be forgiven. Believe in me and you will be saved from God's wrath. Turn to me and you'll be made right with God. Notice that his, I mean, it's a beautiful invitation, isn't it? Rest. You're burdened, you're weighed down. I'll give you relief. Your soul's been restless, but in me, your soul will find rest. You've been searching for peace. And I'm the Prince of Peace. And his, it's a beautiful invitation. It's a wide invitation. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. It's open to, to all, right? Not just people of a certain color, of a certain educational and economic level. No, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. The only stipulation is that you recognize your need, right? Remember, it's not for those who think they're wise, It's not for those who think they've got it all together. No, it's for those who recognize their desperate need. Remember earlier in Matthew, Jesus said, only the sick need a doctor. They not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It's for those who recognize their sin. I wonder if there's any here today who are still carrying that burden of their sin and guilt before God. Obviously, you're in church, maybe, you know, you're trying to kind of do what, what you think you're supposed to do, but yet your soul is not at rest, your soul is not at peace. And perhaps that's because you've never come to Christ. It's not about checking off the boxes, it's not about doing what your parents want you to do, it's about coming to Christ. Saying, Jesus, I need you as as my Savior. And Jesus, I believe you're king. And I want to live for you. I want to obey you. That's the invitation Jesus is giving here. And he continues in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So taking Christ's yoke upon him means to submit to him, to come under his authority as, as Lord, as teacher. He says, learn from me. When you become a Christian, it's like you're, you're attaching yourself to Christ. You're being yoked with Christ. Rather than being, again, rather than being yoked to a system or rather than you live in your own life for yourself. No, you're yoking yourself to Christ. Jesus says, come to me, unite with me, learn from me, become my student, become my disciple. Becoming a Christian means we place ourselves under Christ's authority as our Lord and teacher. We're committing to learn from him. And as we say a lot around here, we're seeking to learn from him in order to become like him. Right? You're uniting with him in a relationship. It's about learning Christ. It's about being united to the Lord Jesus and walking in relationship with him as our Lord and Savior. And so we're, we're committing to following him, learning from him, so that our lives will become more and more like his. And that's the work that God is doing in, in all his people. That's why we continue to proclaim the word, and that's why we, you, you and your homes continue to teach it. So that God, by his spirit, will, will um, bit by bit, <laughs> conform us more into the image of Christ. That he'll continually give us grace, that his word is powerful, it's life-giving, it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates down to, to, the very, to our very hearts. Helps us put to death sin, helps us renew our minds and replace sin with godly thoughts and habits. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to come after him in order to be saved, in order to become his disciple. And as we learn him, as we learn from him, abide in him, his words abide in us, God will be changing us and we'll get to display something of the glory of Jesus to those around us. We'll, get, we'll pray for and look for opportunities to tell others about our Savior, about who we're following, about who we're, we're attached to, about who's our Lord and our King, and our Savior. So Jesus says, come to me. Find rest for your souls. This is what life is really about. Right? Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You were made to know God and bring glory to him by imaging him, becoming like Christ. And so the Bible says, whatever we seek, that was the theme of the youth conference, right? Was seeking God, seeking Christ. The Bible says, whatever we seek, whatever we treasure, that's what we become like. And so even believers too often don't experience the peace, the rest for their souls that they should have. Because they're seeking the things of the world too much. But yet our rest... Our peace is found in relationship with Christ and becoming like him. And so this invitation reminds us of that, even those of us who are believers, what we've been called to.
This is what it means to become a Christian. You can't, Jesus says, come to me, right? He's linking the two. Come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke and learn from me. Those, those go hand in hand. It's, you can't just say, Jesus, I want to be forgiven, but I want to keep doing my own thing. No, becoming a Christian means submitting to him as Lord. So those are our three headings. All having to do with responding to Christ. And so that's my prayer today, that in whatever capacity God is calling you to, whether it's as a believer who needs to just uh, renew their commitment or needs to refocus their their direction, that you'll respond to the, the words of Jesus today. And then again, if you're an unbeliever, I pray that you will come to Christ and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, these words. Lord, we praise you for your, the clarity and the power of, of your word. We praise you that you are a God who has made yourself known, that you've delighted to reveal yourself, and not just generally through creation, but specifically through your word and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that he, that Jesus makes you known and that he is how we are reconciled to you. And so God, as we've, uh, as we've heard Jesus praise you for your sovereign grace, as we've tried to consider your sovereign grace this morning, I pray that that very grace would abound today. I pray that you will open eyes This morning to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will draw many. Into a saving relationship with him. That many will become his disciples. Many will submit to him. And follow him today. And Father for the rest of us may it just remind us of the grace that you have shown us. And the life that you've called us to. Oh, help us to be um, continuing to seek you, Lord. Give it, please. We need daily grace. We know we're prone to, to wander. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are gentle and lowly of heart, that you are a, a good king, and that you're a good shepherd, and that you continue to, you don't let us stray far. You continue to bring us back. And so help us to joyfully walk in union with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.